This is during worship. I heard Mark nine twenty three for some somebody, maybe probably multiple people in here. But it says, Jesus says to his disciples, "What do you mean if if there are no ifs among believers, anything is possible?" And so it doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter what the devil is levied against you. What you think might seem impossible in the natural, Jesus says, "There nothing is impossible." His eyes are like flames of fire. The enemy doesn't stand a chance. This isn't even my message, but I'm just. Just take that truth and apply it to your life. Nothing is impossible. He is the miracle-working God, and next week people will be healed, period. He is Jehovah Rapha. He never changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so bring anyone you know. I mean, be like, be like disciples. They brought all the sick and those who were oppressed. The devil is just a robber of your destiny, and he will manifest that in many different i got to get back onto track. But he will manifest that in many different things, whether it's your health, your mental health, um, your peace. He just tries to rob you from all that. And so we're going to rebuke him, and we rebuke him now. We'll rebuke him next week, and people will be healed in Jesus' name. But I'm going to jump right in because last week we talked about the Holy Spirit briefly. Um, and that was really just the kindness and the goodness of the Lord. And I was a little upset when I went home. I was like, I didn't really get to get in to what you know you put on my heart and now I realize why because I've never heard the Lord I shouldn't say never as far as I can recall I have never heard the Lord more clearly than I did yesterday a direct communication line from the throne room and I know I know it is the Lord um, because I would never really spend a whole lot of time in Zechariah uh, you know that's not really your go-to book uh, for me anyway. So I'm going to share that tonight. But I want us to just agree with this. The Bible says where two more are gathered on the earth in agreement, it shall be established. And we're going to agree with this truth from Revelation. Because you can look at the Christmas's life, Pastor Kent and Candy. You can look at, you, you can just look at our own lives, our families. Hell has unleashed its full force right now. And somehow he thinks that it's going to win. Uh, but let me just read you what the Bible says about that. Revelation twelve seven says a war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels rose up and the devil or the serpent or that old dragon and his angels rose up. And the very next lines I want you to agree with me on. And it says he had no power and the devil lost. He had no power and the devil lost. And in an instant he was thrown out of heaven forever. He will never beat the undefeated one. He will never uh, unseat the great I am from the throne. And so every bit, every narrative that comes against you and us and myself and all of us collectively that tells you anything but is from the lying deceiver. And so we just start this night in agreement that we are victorious because of the victorious one. And so last week, we, uh, I, I think I, I, I mentioned um, that I was praying Holy Spirit for, for fresh revelation and we're all like, let me get some fresh, I'll use a term Sarah Tillman uses, fresh revy, you know, that's like, I guess, a, a young adult term for Thursdays, but at first I was like, what did you say? But uh, for, like, in all reality, God is constantly speaking and revealing and longing for us to get um, an understanding of what he's doing in the earth right now, and so I was praying, and I said, Lord, give me some fresh revy on uh, what it is that you are trying to tell us about partnering with Holy Spirit for 2022. Like right now, on the earth, there's many different 
avenues you can go with learning about Holy Spirit, and, and there's so many great books, and you should read them. But I prefer to go direct to the source, which is the Word of God, and understand who He is and how He wants to co-labor with us right now. And I'm telling you, I think I said it last week, but as soon as I said, what are you doing for 2022, He said, read John 2022. And this is what it says. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And I believe, like I said last week again, that the offer still stands. That this is an eternal promise, the fulfillment of what our Father has promised us, to receive Holy Spirit. And so this is an offering and extend it to the body of Christ if we will simply receive it. And quickly, we'll, we'll just touch on um, last week, one of the outward manifestations of receiving the Holy Spirit is uh, speaking in tongues or your heavenly language or whatever you're comfortable with. Um, and, and that's just one, though. And I want us to be cognizant and remember to not gloss over the fruits of the Spirit, which is the evidence that He's taken root in your life. Peace, love, joy, understanding, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness. And so I think a lot of times we're like, well, this person, they just so flow, they flow so eloquently in the, in the spirit. Yeah, but they're mean to people or they don't keep their word. So they go together. The fullness of the Holy Spirit is being able, Romans 8, 26, that when we're, when we're in our weakness and our groanings, we don't know, should I stay on this side? We don't know um, how to pray or what to pray for. Then the spirit comes alongside and intercedes for us. And it's a weapon that we have to wage war in the heavenlies. It's powerful. But let's not forget the peace and the love and the joy and the self-control and the things that show the world that the Holy Spirit dwells in us because it's equally important. And I heard the Lord say, which I found it very bizarre, but I wrote it down. He said, let the, I think he was probably just talking to me, but he said, let the fruit of your life be such that there is never a need for your side of the story. And I was like, that's uh, fresh Revy. But, uh, but I, I would have never said that. But then I started thinking, yes, let the outward expression of how we live reflect that the evidence of the Holy Spirit has taken residence in our life. And so let's not forget that. But on to... The book of Zechariah, on to where the Lord began to speak to me mightily yesterday. Last week, we briefly started talking about, um, not by might, not by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord. I don't know if you remember that. Hopefully you do. Um, and I heard that over and over again. And so Zechariah 4, 6 says, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. And he shall bring forth the capstones with shouts of grace, grace to it. And as I began to read this over and over again yesterday morning, I sat in the, in the Lord's presence. I don't know how to explain it other than I'm not necessarily a crier. Um, am I? I'm not really. I don't know. Got to be honest. Um, but there was something that overcame my spirit where I moved from, from grief to uh, great anticipation for what God is doing in the earth right now. And I can't help but think, in fact, I know, I know, I know that God was showing me a direct correlation to Zerubbabel rebuilding the temple in his time and his remnant rebuilding the altar right now on the earth. 
There is a direct correlation, and we're going to look at that. Quickly, I'll give you a backstory. It's 538 B.C. So Jesus hadn't come yet in Zerubbabel. He's, he's in charge of kind of the first wave of captives returning back to Jerusalem. You can read about this whole story um, in Ezra and Haggai and even a little in Nehemiah if you want. But he's been elected, the, not elected, uh, the Persian king Darius uh, made him governor of Judah. And so he's leading kind of the first wave back to Jerusalem, right? And so there's been God's people in captivity, and isolation, and quarantine, whatever you want to call it. And uh, Zerubbabel has been picked by King Darius to lead this first way back to Jerusalem. And so what he does is uh, King Darius says, hey, you're going to be governor of Judah, and I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing here. You're going to be governor of Judah. And the very first thing he does is begins to rebuild the temple that's been torn down. Well, why does he need to rebuild the temple? Well, that beautiful grand magnificent temple that Solomon built was destroyed by the Babylonians. And so the house of the Lord needs to be rebuilt. So Zerubbabel is just the man for the job. There's been great destruction. And I can tell you that as I was listening to the Lord too, he said this deconstruction movement that the enemy is trying to release in my body right now, you're trying to cancel Christ, which you can never cancel Christ. I'm just letting you know that. But this deconstruction movement is not what the enemy wants it to be. There is a deconstruction movement, but it's breaking down man-made altars that have elevated themselves over the word of the Lord. And there is a new altar temple being built, and it's going to be built by the faithful worshipers of him in spirit and truth. And this is where we're moving. And so you have this old temple, this grand style, beautiful, ornate thing that's been destroyed by the Babylonians. And so someone needs to rebuild it for the Lord. This, Again, I'm not making this up. It's going to sound like a movie, kind of, but this is straight from the Word. It took Zerubbabel two years to repair the foundations of the temple. It took him two years to rebuild the foundation of the temple. These words jumped off the page at me because we're approaching two years of this COVID thing being released on the earth. And in this two years, I believe that the faithful remnant those who have fixed their eyes on Jesus have been rebuilding the foundation of the temple for the Lord to come and dwell this construction deconstruction whatever you want to call it he's got two years in he's rebuilding the foundation he's setting his sight to see this complete and then some smooth talking Samaritans come and they have uh, you know they have their their we know what's best for you thing and they come with these uh what's seemingly good overtures, and, and really it's just hidden hostility. They're trying to delay the house of the Lord being rebuilt. And they're successful for a little bit. They come, sidetrack Zerubbabel, and the temple of the Lord lays unfinished for 17 years. 17 years. And this is in Ezra chapter 4 if you want to read it. So it sits there unfinished for 17 years, and then finally God sends the prophets on the scene. Haggai and Zechariah arrive, and he sends them to encourage Zerubbabel in rebuilding his house, giving him the resources. In Ezra 5, it says, the temple of the Lord was rebuilt by the Jewish elders by the prophesying of Haggai and Zechariah. Don't discount prophecy. Now, certainly test it and bring it before the Lord. But um, God's prophets have always played a mighty role in his rebuilding of his house. And you can see it right here. 
So they come on the scene, they start encouraging him, come on, you can do it, you can do it. And from the time the prophets arrive on the scene, it's four years later when the temple is rebuilt. It's completed, there's a dedication service. And what's fascinating to me is Zerubbabel is the one who started it. He's the one who laid the foundation. He's the one who saw it to completion. And yet he's never mentioned anywhere in connection with the dedication ceremony. In fact, Zerubbabel's name's not mentioned anywhere after this. And as I sat there, I heard the Lord say, Are you okay with being a nameless, faceless generation that will rebuild my house so my presence can fall, even if no one ever knows you played a hand in it? And I said, Yes, I am. Because there's a generation coming after us. Call it the young adults. I'm part of that. But uh, there's a generation that's going to reap the benefits of a pure altar being built. And God is asking us right now, will we partner with Holy Spirit, not by might, not what we think we can do on our own, but by His Spirit to rebuild His house. And so it's obvious as I, you know, that God was pleased with Zerubbabel. You know, I don't know why he wasn't included in the dedication ceremony. He doesn't have a book written about him. It's not Zerubbabel chapter 7. You know, but he played an integral part and pouring himself out before the Lord to see his temple being rebuilt. And I believe he's asking us to do that now, to pour ourselves out for his altar to be repaired. And it's clear that he was pleased with Zerubbabel and reestablishing the temple worship and all the things that Zerubbabel did. And you can see in Haggai chapter 2, verse 23, that he gave Zerubbabel a blessing. And this is what he said. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you. And I thought, can you imagine being a signet ring placed on the hand of the Almighty? I, I can think of nothing better. And as I, as I begin to pray over this and ask, Lord, give me deeper revelation, it was just this counter, I don't know, it was like the heavens open and he's, he's speaking to me. And it, it was like a, I don't know if this is an old thing, but like picture in picture. I don't know. I'm not intentionally looking at you, Randall. But like picture, you know, like you could get a TV and, it, and you could select a little pip button and it would give you like you're watching a show and then you could put another show on at the same time. The different. All right. Thank you. Um, but it was like it was like that where I was watching what Zerubbabel went through and what he was doing in real time. And, it, and then watching what we're doing in real time, and it was the same. It was exactly the same. They, like, overlaid each other. And to go on to, if you go on to read, you can see that it was a, a group, and this, this is where my grief came. It was a group of Jews, older Jews, that were very disappointed in the rebuilding that was taking place. They were comparing Zerubbabel's temple to the grandeur and splendor of Solomon's. And they were fixed back in Egypt at the old. And what they saw was this beautiful, glorious temple. And then they looked at this, in their eyes, meaningless, puny little temple that Zerubbabel was building, and they were disappointed. In their minds, it didn't even begin to compare with the splendor of Solomon's temple. It's true Zerubbabel's temple was built on a smaller scale. It had smaller resources. Solomon's had the Ark of the Covenant, right? But it's no longer around. So that's not really Zerubbabel's fault. Can't put the Ark in there. 
The first temple dedication of Solomon's, the altar had been lit by fire that fell from heaven and the glory filled the temple. Pretty awesome. I can't find any record in the word that any such miracles took place at the second temple's dedication. But even so, and this is an encouragement, this is where I move from grief to anticipation for what Yeshua is allowing us to partner with right now. Even so, Haggai prophesied that the second temple would one day outshine the glory of the first. Haggai's word was fulfilled 500 years later when the Messiah himself arrived. Zerubbabel's temple was not as outwardly impressive as Solomon's. It didn't have 15 satellite campuses, screens in the air, smoke, this and that, rope swings and all that stuff. It didn't have that. But it had the greater glory because in that temple, the Messiah himself walked in it. His glory will pour out on this altar if we will move our opinions and our desires out of the way and elevate him above all else. And he will fall in a way that we've never seen. This is what he's talking about. I will pour out my spirit for all the world to see. The whole earth will be covered with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And we get to play a part in rebuilding this to usher this in. I believe it with all my heart. And how do we get to do that? It's not our resources. It's not our cleverness. It's not how many uh, creative marketing plans we can have. It's not by our strength at all. It's by His Spirit. It's by the Holy Spirit. The very breath of God, the Ruha breath of God that was breathed in Genesis, like I said last week, that brought mankind to life. It was the very Spirit of the Lord that opened and closed the Red Seas, bringing God's children from captivity to freedom. It's the Spirit that looked out over the dry bones and said, Come alive. This is the Spirit that He's offering to breathe out on us tonight if we'll only receive it. And we need to understand the purpose of receiving the Holy Spirit is for the power to be a witness. That, that is the main purpose. And I believe that with, with all of my heart. And if that's the purpose, we need to look at the Father's heart and desire behind it. And I said last week, I believe, Ezekiel thirty three eleven. This verse has really caused me to kind of do some repenting, uh, I had some Sons of Thunder moment where I'd be like praying in my room, I'm going to call down fire over this. You know, and the Lord was like, get back, you don't know what spirit you're of. Because he says, it is not my pleasure. As surely as I live, says the Sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of wicked men. I only desire that they'll turn from their wickedness and come to me so that they can live. If this is his heart, now, they're not all going to come, but if he's rooting for them, then so should we. And this is why his power is available to us so that we can bring them back to Jesus and they can live. John 21. This is also, I know, from the Lord in this encounter. Then he quickly took me to John 21. And I won't read it all, but they're, they're out fishing, right? And so if you guys know the story, Jesus has already defeated death, hell, and the grave. He's arisen. And the disciples are in this really weird in-between time. Not unlike where we are right now. They're trying to figure out, okay, like some believe, some don't. He's risen. I don't know what to do. You know, Pilate's still in office. Rome's still in charge. I don't understand. It just doesn't look like a kingdom being restored to us. And so they're just trying to figure out what, you know, what's going on. So Peter's like, I'm going fishing. And because he's a leader, the others are like, I'll go with you. So they're out fishing all night. They catch nothing. You don't catch anything. 
I'm quickly jumping through uh, verses 2 through 11 if you want to read the entire encounter in John 21. But they fish all night. They don't catch anything. And then as, as the sun's coming up, there's a silhouette on the beach, and it calls out to them. It actually says in the original language, hey, little kids, hey, little children. Did you guys catch anything? No. Cast your net on the other side of the boat, right? And so they cast it on the other side of the boat, and they catch a, so many fish, and the net doesn't break. 153, actually, is what they catch. And so what's interesting in this, and again, I'll just caveat this. We don't really need to get into the symbolic meaning of, was it the left side of the boat, the right side of the boat? I mean, you could, there's probably books on that, actually, on uh, what side of the boat are you on? Did, you know, are you left out or are you right with Jesus? I mean, what, they, they can go any different. I, I believe it's not a left or right thing. I believe it's a working with or without the Lord. That's what I believe. And so when they recognize this, Peter jumps in and he goes to the Lord. But th- this is where I want to bring it back to from Ezekiel 33:11 in the heart of the Father and what we're going to read in Acts 1:8, the Holy Spirit. Biblical scholars think that there were 153 different types of species of fish in Lake Galilee. Now, whether that's accurate or not, I can't really attest to. I like the, the thought process, though. I like the narrative and the study and the research behind it because that's saying all were caught in the net and brought into the king. Not one was missing. And I believe, whether that's true or not, it's a beautiful illustration of the heart of the Father. He's telling the disciples in the catch, this is no longer Jews and Gentile. There is a new covenant, and it's for all the earth. And he demonstrates this in Acts 1.8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witness. Tell everyone about me to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is more than, um, this is more than a, a suggestion or a command. It's just a simple statement. Hey, I'm going to tell you something. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you're going to receive power. Period. All of you that are in there are going to receive power. And it's not to go write books, or write, release albums, or build a platform for yourself. None of those are ba- The platform for yourself is bad. But the books and the other stuff, that's not bad in and of itself. But the purpose of the power is to bring people to the feet of Jesus. And that is what he's telling them right now. You shall be my witness to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And I got to think, again, this isn't in the Bible, but this is how my mind works. I got to think the conversation on the way back to Jerusalem had to go something like, you know, they got him all around, and he, maybe it's Peter, maybe it's Andrew. He's like, dude, did he say Jerusalem? Did he say Judea? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he said Samaria. Give Samaria to Judas. Well, Judas isn't here anymore. Give it to Thomas. He won't believe us anyway. Just give it to someone, okay? Because I'm not going to these places. Why? This had to be so offensive and weird to them. Jerusalem is where they just crucified him. Judea rejected his entire ministry. And Samaria was just a collective wasteland of half-breeds in their eyes. Jesus didn't say, hey, uh, just you're going to be my witness all over the earth. He could have. You're going to be my witness to everyone. You're going to be my witness to um, all creation. He could have used any of those words, but he didn't. He said Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, because he wanted to fundamentally break up their thinking and show that I went to Calvary so that none shall be lost, so that all come in. I leave the 99 for the one. 
And he is telling him this, that you will go to the ends of the earth and be my witness. And the Holy Spirit will be the one that empowers them to do this. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll close with this, and we'll, if the worship team wants to come back up. Uh, the church began in the Spirit, but we've moved into the flesh. It began in the Spirit. The, 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 the Israelites were brought from captivity to freedom by being guided by the pillar of fire. We began in the Spirit, but there is no pillar of fire resting over sanctuaries anymore. We need the Holy Spirit to come and rest on us again and empower us with a holy boldness to be His witnesses to the ends of the earth. I, maybe you saw it on Instagram, I don't know, but I, I, th- I find it fascinating that we're fully okay and comfortable with going to Calvary for the pardon, but not Pentecost for the power. And you need both. The purpose of the power at Pentecost is to bring people to Calvary to be pardoned. And that's why you get so much opposition but from the religious spirit when you call upon the Holy Spirit to come and fill you with His presence because it knows if you are filled with the Holy Spirit then there is nothing that can stop you. That you will be a voice to the nations pointing people to the true light which is Yeshua. The, the, the interesting thing about at least how my mind worked and how I grew up was I loved, I loved like stories of uh, revivalists, you know, um, Billy Graham, a great, great preacher everyone's heard of. But even before them was a man named Billy Sunday. And I loved him because he played professional baseball. And, he, you know, he wasn't weird. I thought he was cool. I'm not saying Billy Graham was weird, but you know what I mean. It, it, and then we read these stories of these reformers and revivalists. And, and then we move into the martyrs. And we celebrate them and we read their books. We study their methods. And we'll even say things like... Uh, you know, the blood of the martyr is the seed of the church, and that is true. We cherish the last drop of their blood, but we guard carefully the first drop of our own. We need the Holy Spirit to fill us with the power.